Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. Have you read a book recently that really resonated with you and makes you want to read more books like it? If so, submit a read-alike request to me through the Google form included in today's show notes and tell me why you loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads on a future Tuesday episode. If you are interested in reading some great books before they publish, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access digital early reads and pre-pub author chats as well as my new Traveling Galley program. For May, my early read selection is Banyan Moon by Tao Tai. For June, The Bones of the Story by Carol Goodman. And for July, The Book of Silver Linings by Nan Fisher. The link to join is in my show notes. Today, I am chatting with Megan Tatey about Superbloom. Megan is a journalist and an editor. She founded WordLift, a communications consulting and copywriting firm. Originally from Nebraska, she now lives in New England with her husband and two kids. I hope you enjoy our conversation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Megan. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm really looking forward to talking about Super Bloom. Oh, thank you. So why don't we start out with you giving me a quick synopsis of the book for those that won't have read it yet? So Super Bloom is about a massage therapist named Joan Johnston. She's working at a luxury spa in Vermont. She's grieving the loss of her love, and she's about to get fired. She's got one chance to save her job, and that's to get a glowing review from the most demanding client, a famous romance novelist named Carmen Bronze. Carmen has a request for her. She wants her to dish dirt about the spa so she can set her next bestseller there. And as she begins uh, doing that, Joan wonders if she could write her own love story. So I have so many questions. I had so much fun reading this one, but I was curious... Where did all of these elements come from? How did you decide on Vermont, a spa, a massage therapist, Carmen Bronze, all of it? So funny enough, I was getting a massage. Uh, my husband took me on a surprise birthday trip eight years ago. I live in Western Massachusetts and he took me to Vermont. And I was getting a massage by a woman who I could just tell 
didn't want to be there. You know, it was like she was already clocked out. And I was sort of like, what's what's going on with her? What what's her day been like? What's it like to work here? And I kind of, as my imagination tends to do, started kind of creating a story about her and found myself really curious, wanting to ask her a bunch of questions. Um, I have a journalism background, so I've interviewed a ton of people and I just, you know, I wanted to pull her aside after, but that felt kind of creepy. So instead I went home, um, I went back to our cabin and the first like inklings of this, this book were in my mind and I just started writing it. I had just been dipping a toe into fiction at that point and it all just came flooding, flooding in. I mean, the story's changed so much since those first few pages and the first draft. But I knew that the character of this this woman who wanted to ask, you know, Joan everything is this kind of brassy, a little kooky character who's had a lot of success as a romance novelist. And, you know, the romance side of things for me at first was kind of a lark. I was like, oh, this is going to be so funny to make this character a romance novelist. I myself didn't read a lot of romance and hadn't since I was young. and. As I started to craft her character, I thought I should really read romance and and listen to other romance authors. And I got a really good education. I'm so glad I I did that because I I was like, oh my God, you know, romance has changed so much since I was reading it when I was 18. It's much more feminist. It's much more forward thinking. It's really hard to write. It props up the whole industry. You know, I just, I learned a ton. And so I had to make sure that while Carmen is a little batty that I wasn't poking fun at the romance genre. I didn't want to do that in any way. But yeah, so it just it just kind of evolved over time. I had to interview a lot of body workers so that I could find out a little bit more about what it's like to work in that profession. That was one of the aspects of the story that I enjoyed, but I also felt really sorry for some of these body workers because all of the things they have to endure, which I think about whenever I get a massage that it must be really difficult and you probably get all these inappropriate comments and people saying the craziest things. But as I was reading your book, it sort of brought that to the forefront again. Yeah. You know, and it was important for me to show that some people really gravitate toward this profession and they love it and it suits them. It suits their bodies and they love whether they're in a, you know, a larger spa, they love the camaraderie or they love working for themselves. And for some people it doesn't work or they work in a, you know, a place that doesn't have great rules that protect them. And I, so I wanted to show, you know, it runs, it runs a range, but also, you know, it's a really unique profession. Where else are you in a tiny room with someone and you never know who's going to get on your massage table. You never know what's been happening in their day and their life, what their body is going to be like, unless it's a repeat client. So it's a really uniquely intimate and physically taxing job that I think a lot of people maybe don't think about as much as maybe you are when you're getting a massage. I think that's exactly right. And it's an interesting place to set a book. So I thought, and and it's not something you read about a lot. Yeah, I I thought so too. I was looking around to to wonder, you know, like, does any, has anyone else done this? Has anyone kind of mined this profession? And I I didn't see that. I, I knew that it would allow me to have a really fun array of characters. I knew it would allow me, you know, as a as a former journalist, I did a lot of work and writing around social justice and economic justice. So there's always that little piece of me looking out for hints of when that might be going awry, when 
when a workplace isn't so great for the people there. And, you know, a spa setting is so interesting because people are going there for relief and and to relax and to rejuvenate. But underneath the surface, a lot is going on for the people who work there. And sometimes it's not so great. So I knew I could kind of tap into that in a subtle, really readable way without, you know, hitting the reader over the head with it. Well, I'm so curious about your publishing journey. You were one of the first books to come out under Zibby's books, and I have not interviewed anybody yet. So I want to hear all about how that went down and what it's been like. It's been a phenomenal experience. I'm so grateful that I got snapped up by them. I've been working on this book for eight years since I was at the massage uh, for my birthday. And, you know, it took me a really long time to get the manuscript right. I queried a lot of agents. I queried too early. You know, I made all the mistakes that um, (laughs) emerging writer could make. And it took me a long time to get it right and then to begin to develop. My voice, uh, writing groups, a community, taking more classes, studying the form. So when I finally started, I was started watching Zibby. I was reading, you know, I was um, listening to her podcast. Moms don't have time to read books. And I saw that she had formed her publishing company and I was just, you know, really wowed. At that point in time, I had a series of agents who had my full manuscript, but I didn't have an offer. I have a cousin, Claire Bidwell-Smith, who had just sold her memoir to Zibby, her second memoir. And I went to Claire knowing it was a really huge ask, you know, whenever you're saying like, can you give me a referral? It's a big ask. And so I kind of always am careful with those. But I said, could you introduce me to Zibby and to Lee Newman, who was the founder, co-founder at the time? And she said, yes, just no. (laughs) She's already passed on several people that I've sent her way. So I was prepared for more rejection. Um, I had gotten a lot. So I sent off my manuscript and and I was unagented still. About six weeks later, I got an email from Zibby saying they're enjoying it, but they needed another week. I, of course, freaked out. And then again, was like, they hate it. I know they're going to pass. But sure enough, a week later, they offered. And then I went back to an agent that had my book. And I said, I have an offer. And she offered. And the whole thing came in, in one week. and was so exciting. And since then, you know, that was a little over a year ago. It's been really fast. Um, They've put this book on a fast track and I'm off to the races and I've already sold them my second novel, which is just so exciting. That is so exciting. I didn't even know that about your second novel. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, Zibby is really making her mark on the book world. I'm just amazed. She must never sleep, but she does so many cool things. And I'm glad that this has all gone so well through them. I, she, she does so much and she's always starting new things. She also has an incredible team of people around her. And the thing I love the most about the imprint is they're really innovative. They're really willing to try all sorts of creative and new things to get books out there, to get my name out there. Just last weekend, they did a little library drop of Super Bloom. And, you know, there are, hundreds of Zibby Books ambassadors around the country who have signed up to be sort of ambassadors for the books. And they sent Superbloom copies to dozens of them. And then they all put them in little libraries across the country. There was this map that you could follow and it created a ton of buzz. And 
the team knows that I love my little library. No way. I sort of obsess over it and who's dropped books and, and, you know, what the inventory is like. So they, they took that and ran with it. And I've just been so impressed. I participated in that because I have my own little free library, which I am also obsessed with. And I check it daily. And when I'm out of town, my husband deems himself the assistant librarian of the little free library. So he will check it for me and I will leave books and he'll pull out things that he thinks don't meet my criteria. (laughs) So it's the perfect thing for me as well. And, you know, Celadon started that and they were doing it with a bunch of their books. And so I was really glad to see that Zibby Books did it as well, because I think it's such a great program. And your book was gone out of my library in like four hours. And I had at least two more people message me. Is the book still there? And I was like, I'm sorry, it's already gone. So I thought that you would want to know that that was a very quick retrieval process. But yeah, so I was so excited. And I just think those little free library programs are ingenious because you just send the book out and then there's so much press that way. And obviously then it gets passed along. Yes, I was. It was just such a dream. They've also created um, a little QR code on the back of the covers. And that's a little portal into a sort of deeper reading experience for the reader. And they get to know each author. And that, that content has been really fun to generate and they've been curating it. So I've just been so impressed. They have a real personal touch. You know, in the very beginning, when I got on the call with Zibby and the team, they were like, we want this to be a dreamlike experience for authors. We've seen, you know, how it can be the opposite. And that's what it's been for me. And I'm so thankful that the journey took me as long as it did because I wouldn't have ended up with them. I think that is the very cool thing about a new imprint. It's nice to have history of older imprints, but newer imprints can do whatever they want. They don't have all these guidelines they have to follow or we've always done it this way. They can be as innovative as they want to be. And I was actually looking at the QR code before we started talking. And I remembered Test Day or somebody when she was still there and in charge of publicity, I think had told me about that. But that is such a clever and very modern thing to do. Yeah, I love it so much. And each person's code, you know, each author is is different. You know, mine has, you know, a little quiz, like, which character are you? And they've created these incredible book trailers for each of us and interviews of each author. So they're just constantly, you know, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And I love that. And they're always open to even my ideas. Oh, hey, we should try this. And they're they'll follow that. It's really exciting. It is really exciting and fun to see what new and different things they're trying. Yes, exactly. Well, one of the things that really resonated with me in your book is the way you handle grief. Joan has had this loss that we know from the very beginning, so that's not a spoiler. And she's really still struggling with it. It's been a couple of years and it is still ever present for her. But everybody else has long moved on and they don't understand why she hasn't. And I really felt that that was an important storyline because I do think grief is so personal and the person who's living it is living it. And it's hard to sometimes remember that not everyone else is and that other people want you to be unstuck and want you to move on. But sometimes it's just such a tough journey. How did you handle writing about grief? Often when we hear stories about someone who's grieving the loss of a love, it's, it's often someone who's been with them for years. You know, they've been married for years. And I wanted to give Joan a storyline where she lost someone at the very beginning of what felt like an epic love story. You know, these two quirky people finally found each other and they're so pumped to be together. You've got all the feelings of new love. And then, you know, Samuel, her Joan's love dies six months into their courtship. 
And what that must feel like to not have the status of being a widow, being a fiance, being even, even the former girlfriend, you know, for a long time. You know, a lot of people don't recognize Joan's grief and they don't recognize their story together because it wasn't that established. So there's kind of a double pain there. There's a loss of, of her person and what might have been. And then there's the uh, loss of their story, which I think sets Joan up to then kind of reclaim that story later on by beginning to write a sort of fictionalized version of it. It was important for me to show that, you know, in the beginning, I got a lot of feedback that she was really unlikable. And she is in the beginning. She's, she's, you're meeting her at the worst time in her life. But I made a couple of really important changes to sort of soften her in the beginning without kind of losing that, that grumpiness that we first see. But it allows the reader to know that underneath sort of the, the hard crust is a softer side that she's looking to reclaim too. That change was, I think, really, it was very subtle, but it was really important because I was getting so much feedback from, from beta readers and, and agents that, you know, oh, she's just, just too unlikable, which I hate to hear, you know, as a woman, like, oh, but when you hear it, you know, enough times, you have to kind of pay attention to it. I made a couple of those important changes, which allows Joan, you know, and the reader to know that Joan's heart is going to soften over time. And that she's just really struggling. Yeah, exactly. But I will say, I don't like unlikable characters, and I struggle when I'm reading a book about a person who stays unlikable the whole book. So I, I understand the struggle, you know, woman, you want to write a strong woman. But on the other hand, you also want to be able to relate to a character. So it sounds like that with the feedback you were getting and the reworking, you struck a happy medium. Thank you. I hope so. I definitely tried because it was on my mind for sure. Well, what about the book within a book? You just mentioned that a little bit. What was that like? writing Joan's story, but then also having Joan writing a book? For a while, I only had Joan describing what the story was like. And my writing group said, that's boring. We don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was like, no, they were like, we want you to write some, some pieces of what Joan's writing. And I was like, no, please, no. I can't do it. You know, I've been years into this and I just wanted to be done. I didn't want to find another little different voice for Joan. I was worried I couldn't do it. I know that, you know, I was up against a lot. Books within books sometimes work for people and sometimes they don't. And it requires getting a reader to invest not only in your book, but then in a new cast of characters and a new book. And that can be really tricky. But I went back to the page and I started to write what she was writing. And actually, that feedback was also a real gift because I realized that I didn't need to do a lot. I didn't need to write chapters upon chapters. I wouldn't be able to keep readers that way anyway. But I could write a few and give a short sort of story arc to these two characters. It also gave me a tool that I didn't realize at first, which was to avoid so much backstory about a dead character, Samuel. There's only so much a reader wants to read about someone they know has already died. Your heart's already sad about that person. So it allowed me to take things about him and give it to this other character. They're, the new characters are Evian and Cord. And Cord is the stand-in for Samuel. Give 
you know, these like, you know, oddities and these behaviors to, to cord and write them into the future without getting bogged down with backstory. As I was writing the, the book within a book, I knew that I wasn't hitting all of the beats for a romance novel. I just couldn't. That would have slowed down the story. So I know true romance novel readers will notice that and sort of say, hey, you didn't hit all these beats. And I, I knew that. I was aware of it. I'm letting Joan's editor take care of that when it comes to it. So so yeah, and I I felt really grateful for that feedback in the end because I felt like it it really worked. That's interesting about being able to move some of Samuel's quirks or even just personality characteristics into this fictional story. Yeah, I mean, when I read books and I know the character has already died, but then there's so much, you know, backstory about them and flashbacks, I it's such a bummer. And I do it. I do a few, I do a few flashbacks about the time that that Samuel and Joan meet, but then I wanted to take a lot of their material and give it to these other characters and let them be like little, little breadcrumbs, little hints that you can see, oh my gosh, I recognize Samuel in that. And I think that's a nice little, little trail. And it was a way you know, Joan can't write about Samuel. It's too painful, but she can write about these other characters in a in a different way and give them sort of the happy ending that they didn't have. And it can be very cathartic for her. Completely. Yep, exactly. What was the highlight of writing the book? Oh man, there's been <laughs> there's been a lot there's been a lot of ups and downs. I think the thing that I recognize in Joan that I recognize in myself is that it took me a long time to claim my space as a writer and to say out loud, I want to be a novelist. And then to begin to say that to my husband, to my family, to the people in my life, and to gain the confidence. You know, I I think for a long time, I thought, well, who am I to write a book? And that's what Joan thinks too. So I think the highlight has been stepping into that identity, claiming it for myself, getting brave and honing my craft. You know, I, I, on the days that feel dark and lonely uh, as I'm working, uh, my husband often reminds me, you know, you're doing this because you love it. You love writing. And I do. I, my best days are spent when I've touched the page even a little bit. So, you know, whether I'm getting a bad review or I'm getting a rejection, also remembering that I'm doing this because I really love it. So I think the the biggest highlight is it's opened up this whole new world for me, and I'm so glad to be in it. Well, and you touched on this earlier, but I think so many people don't realize how much work goes into being an author, that you can't just sit down and write a book. I mean, you can just sit down and write a book, but you're probably not going to get very far. There's a lot more that goes into writing a story. And you talked about hitting the beats in a romance novel, but even just you know, across any kind of novel, there's generally some kind of structure, some point in which different things need to happen. You need to make connections of other writers. You need to then, once the book is published, you have to be promoting it everywhere. There's so much outside work that goes into all of it. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. It's really true. And I I wrote the first draft of my novel in about a year, and I queried agents thinking I was going to be somebody's unicorn, (laughs) you know, that somebody was going to, you know, an agent was going to rush out of their office and be like, I found her. I heard back from no one. And the silence was so hard. 
and also a major learning moment that I I had so much to learn. I mean, I, I it was as if I thought I was going to like go, I don't know, be in the Olympics without ever training. You know, I just, I had to really buckle down. I had to study more than I thought I would. I had to tweak my manuscript dozens of times. I had to build my community. You know, it took a really long time. I think we often hear about these overnight success stories of writers and that's all we hear. And so we think if we're not swooped up right away that we don't have, we don't have it. We don't have the talent, but really, you know, they often say that the people that are getting published are the people that stick with it. And I think that that's really true. And it it took really, I mean, there's a million humbling moments (laughs) Uh, along this journey. And there still will be, you know, now that the book is coming out on Tuesday, there are so many highs and lows, you know, it's, it's hard when you're, when your book isn't published. And sometimes at heart, it's hard when it is, and it requires public speaking, which I'm new to, you know, promoting myself, all sorts of things that you don't think about when you're kind of a shy author, quietly writing your book alone for years. It's like two different personalities almost. And I get contacted constantly now all along the way. The very beginning, you know, I've been, I've been contacting agents and I'm not having any luck. And I'm like, I don't do anything related to that. Other than saying, I think that happens a lot, get some feedback. You know, I don't have a lot of advice, but all the way up until I've got my book out, now what do I do? And I think it's, people just don't have any concept of how much effort and time and work and what a process it is. And I just have to be like, oh, you've, you're just kind of beginning now that your book is out you know, and there's so much you can do, but it, it's it's kind of crazy, you know, and it's one of those things I definitely have learned as I have done this podcast is how much behind the scenes there is. And how many people are helping each book get to where it is? I have so much respect for every book on my shelf now that I know how many people have touched it, worked on, you know, every single title. And it's it's really incredible. I attended Winter Institute in Seattle this year, which is a big convention of booksellers. And I walked into the galley room and that for, for listeners who don't know is just a room filled with books of early copies of books. And I was once again, quite humbled. You know, I'm like, oh my God, every book in here, every author in here, we're all vying for, you know, the best press, a few spots on book clubs, mentions here, podcasts here, and everyone has worked so hard with so many people behind them. And it was, it was a, it was a really important moment, you know, each time that these things happen, like, right, everyone here is so deserving. They've all worked so hard for this. Absolutely. And it is very humbling, but it's also so impressive because you now have a book heading out into the world and a second book coming. So congratulations, because you do know how hard that is. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear, talking about books, what books you have read recently that you recommend? Yes. um, And like we talked about before we got on, I wrote them down because I always tend to forget. Right now, I am listening to the audiobook of Hester by Lori Lico Albanese. It's so good. The narration is amazing. The details are just sumptuous. It's um, historical fiction, and it's just really beautiful. I'm also just finishing I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. I'm sure lots of people have already recommended this. It is so good. It's just, the I, I've been really studying the structure, the form. It's, it's just so well done. 
I also love reading authors' backlists. I think that's really important. Um, so one book I can recommend from a backlist is Lily King's Euphoria. I love Lily King, and this is my favorite book of hers. I discovered it a while ago. It is just an incredibly well-written and propulsive read, and it's just got all the things you would want in a novel. So if you're a Lily King fan and you haven't read Euphoria, please go get it right away. I hate to admit this, but I have never read Lily King at all. Oh, start with Euphoria. You're going to love it. Okay, I certainly will. I love that recommendation. Thank you. Yes. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I can't wait for Super Bloom to make its way out into the world and everyone else to get to read it. Thank you so much, Cindy. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.